forget about that. I could record an entire episode about Euros Rochish's goal. Bro. <laughs> I'm like, no one bothered to tell me that I have, this happened. I'm upset. I have so much to say about this goal. I'm going to say it <laughs> all. I'm going to save it. But I have so <laughs> much to say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, what's up? Not much, Phil. What's up? How are you? I'm doing all right. I, uh, yeah, I, I think um, this, this weekend was an interesting one <laughs> for <Yeah>. football. <laughs> oh, there's so much, um, and we've somehow... We somehow topped all that uh, with with the first uh, thing we're going to lead off with here. But um, did you get up to anything else this weekend at all? Nah, nah, just just watching the football. And uh, I'm glad we were going to record last night, but good thing we didn't because all the football podcasts I was listening today are were like stopping in the middle to be like, oh, Frank Lampard got sacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get to talk about it fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh we've had some time to take this in. Um but uh I guess if you are uh joining us for the first time or just finding us, welcome and uh you can f- find us and subscribe on all the big podcast platforms. Um I particularly like Spotify, especially now that they've got the new uh new episode alerts on there. Um True, true. Always a nice touch. And they match our aesthetic, so that's always nice. They really do. The green and black uh, <laughs> green really, and black. really goes well. So, yeah, follow and subscribe, whatever. Um, hopefully you enjoy listening, and uh, hopefully you stick around. Um, and uh, if you found the podcast not through Twitter, um, then you can follow our Twitter at HXC Football um, for all the nonsense uh, that doesn't make it into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, we may as well dive right into this, Mika. It, the Frank Lampard sacked uh, by Chelsea today. Um, the statement from the club, a little bit telling in that it was a lot longer than a lot of these releases normally are, um, with a quote from Roman Abramovich as well, specifically citing the fact that it was a difficult decision and he's welcome back at any time, but I found it really interesting that Chelsea say we are grateful to Frank for what he has achieved in his time as head coach of the club. However, recent results and performances have not met the club's expectations, leaving the club mid table without any clear path to, to sustained improvement kind of savage, like on Chelsea's part. But I mean, Lampard out now. Um, Mm. and, a big part of this, just his inability to gel these expensive signings that Chelsea have made. Yeah. To the tune of over 200 million pounds as has, you know, as most people listening to this already know, as you know, they spent a whole, whole bunch of money after uh, the transfer ban that they had the season before. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's always sad. I think to see someone lose their job, I think it's as, football fans we are maybe a little bit 
more cynical and almost numb to it. But, you know, imagine this happening to normal people, like losing your job as easily <laughs> as that. You know what I mean? Like, that's devastating. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, in a way, I think it is a bit sad. But I think also probably it was coming given the outlay that, that Chelsea have have spent and the lack of results to show for it. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Frank ends with a 52.4% win percentage. Only Andre Villas-Boas has had a worse win percentage in the Abramovich era. Wow. And actually Frank has the worst points per game average of any manager in the Abramovich era. So it's, yeah, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he did last season with the blooding new players, blooding youngsters, sure. Making the champions league, um, in, in a, a very tightly contested premier league and, and, uh, you know, without having the, the benefit of new signings, but this season, I think just really showed that he was massively out of his depth and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I figured the sack was coming when he, picked a fight with Liam Toomey from the athletic <laughs> anytime, you know, not that managers aren't allowed to, to respond to the media. Sure you are. But I think that's always like a, yeah. All right. You're starting to lose the plot a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think as, as crazy as it is, I think this just highlights the fact that this appointment was wrong from the very beginning um, mm. for, for what Chelsea were, were in for in terms of this, this short break from the transfer market that they, the enforced, the enforced break, um, yeah. followed by massive investment. I think we all knew that last season was sort of a free hit for Frank. Like it was, you know, do as well as you can with what you have at your disposal and the pressure being off really suited him, I think. And the second that they started spending, the expectation was there for him to blood in these new signings and really get the team firing at like a title contending level. Um, and basically the, the trajectory went the opposite way. And I think, like you said, it just highlights how big of a job this was and how far away Frank was in his development as a manager from being able to be the man for such a big job. Um, I think it just highlights, like I said, you know, this is not the appointment for the inexperienced club legend. Like that's not, that's not never been Abramovich's approach. He, people are saying, Oh, like, you know, the era of giving people, giving, giving managers time. And what about a project? And so like, have you met Roman Abramovich? Right. Like, have you seen Chelsea over, they have fired title winning managers. Like, the year after a title win. Yeah. That, yep. Like this is, we're talking about a guy who is miles from that. Um, like, and, where, I, and I think, <laughs> I think that's why in a way, uh, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned what, which I think is spot on the fact that he came in, um, you know, cl- the club used him for the built in goodwill that he had with the fans being a club legend. Yep. Um, after, you know, because I think the fans were very disillusioned by seeing the club win a title, sack the manager, win a title, sack the manager, uh, a la, you know, Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, Maurizio Sarri, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so they're like, all right, let's bring in someone that the fans can get on board with right away, especially because we're going to have this transfer ban and we need someone who can, who can, uh, 
you know, kind of take the focus off of that. And, and it, it can be a free hit exactly as you said. Um, but yeah, the, the Chelsea is not one for the project managers. I've seen people compare it to, you know, like, well, Hey, Mikel Arteta got time and even all the Gunnar Solskjaer got time. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, but they also didn't have, I mean, maybe in Solskjaer's case that it's not as, as comparable, but, Arteta didn't have 200 million pounds spent. Like we're, we're loans FC, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so, um, the expectations are different at these different clubs and the ownership is different. And Abramovich, as you say, there's, there's never been that kind of patience shown at Chelsea. Chelsea is perhaps the hottest managerial seat in Europe. Um, so it, it takes a special someone to, to do the job there. And I think Frank did do the job there last season. I just think this season he was asked to do something completely different to, to last season. They went out and spent a ton of money. And, and, you know, it's funny because I had, as, as I was thinking about this, but, you know, getting ready to record with you, I kind of had my like two lists going of like in defense of Lampard and hashtag Lampard out. And in his defense, <laughs> I, I wonder looking back how, how much of a say he had in these signings. Cause they kind of don't with the way that he was playing last season, kind of establishing that he wanted to play four, three, three to have Timo Werner, a player that kind of is known to play with another striker and Kai Havertz, a number 10 come in as your marquee signings. Looking back, it doesn't make any sense. So in his defense, I almost wonder how much, of that was influenced by him or did he have a say on regardless, you should be getting the best out of these players. I, I don't mean to say that it's like, Oh, they don't fit. No, you make team over and guy happens yeah. fit. So that's kind of my like in defense of him that, you know, maybe just throwing all these big signings together at once was a lot for a young manager. It was always going to be a young inexperienced, relatively manager. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, for example, you know, the way he talked with about the players with the media was unacceptable. The way he threw them under the bus after yeah. poor results. Um, the way it appears there was apparently no clear tactical plan if if the uh, kind of expose that The Athletic put out is to be believed. And I believe it. Just look at some, some of the results that you've seen. It feels like a lot of the times that Chelsea was doing well, it was because of individual performances. Yeah. Um, and just having good players, whereas the, the times that they drop points decides they should be beating or lost, it was like, what what are they what are these players being asked to do? It's very helter skelter out there. So yeah. um yeah, there's just so many layers to this and it's it's a shame. Another one bites the dust, as they say. And I'm sure uh a player like Timo Werner coming from a tactical setup under Julian Nagelsmann um, probably bristled at the idea of a lack of any sort of like tactical <laughs> approach um, from Lampard. And, uh, and I think the fact that the, the biggest indictment of Frank Lampard is that on social media, Timo Werner has become like a meme. Um, right. He had 34 goals last season. <laughs> in all competitions. Like this guy is the idea that he's just like, not good is insane. Like, right. He's unbelievable, but right. he is 
absolutely devoid of any confidence at the moment. He's been absolutely shattered um, by by this move to Chelsea. And I think that's like one of the biggest indictments. Kai Havertz is like non-existent. Um, and so those those two moves were always like uh, likely to be to be a big uh, focal point of his of his career. And he just, I think he's mishandled them massively, as you said. And, um, in the end, Chelsea now looking to a German likely it's not confirmed Mm -hmm. yet that Thomas Tuchel is inbound, but it's looking more and more likely reportedly the deal's already been agreed similar to Pochettino at, at PSG. It seems like, you know, the deal's all but done, uh, or all but announced basically. Um, do you think that once Tuchel was out at PSG, the Chelsea hierarchy may have made their mind up like that early? Yeah, uh, what what certain sources in the media are saying are that they started looking right right after Christmas um, and were sounding out uh, Ralph Rangnick. Apparently, they wanted to give him the reins for a short amount of time, but he didn't want to do that given how short it would be yeah. um, Julian Nagelsmann. And then of course Tuchel. So I, I don't doubt that a club as well run as Chelsea was looking well in advance of, of what we found out today. Um, Thomas Tuchel is a, an interesting choice. Um, I think one that makes a lot of sense tactically uh, and footballing wise. Um, obviously it's going to be exciting football. He loves to play a high pressing game, loves to attack, He's very good at dealing with young young stars as well as established stars, given that, you know, in PSG, he managed to somehow get Di Maria, Icardi, Neymar, and Mbappe in one side. Yeah. With his uh, <laughs> quatre fantastique, you know, the, the fantastic four. So um, he's good with the star players. Obviously, PSG's locker room were very upset when he was sacked. Uh, he's also shown that he can work with the youngsters like Christian Pulisic, who came through under under Tuchel's watch at, at Dortmund and Usman Dembele and the like. So yeah. I get it from that standpoint. And he's experienced. That's another thing that he has on Frank Lampard that, you know, just speaks for itself. Um, but Chelsea, as we know, is a very political club. And Tuchel has fallen out with everyone he's ever, you know, worked with at the highest level. Yeah. You know, at Dorman, he fell with uh, Hans-Joachim Watzka and, and Mislintat, too, I think. Sven Mislintat over just footballing, dis- you know, decisions. Yeah. And they Zork. eventually got rid of him. Zork, Zork as and, well, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, at PSG, of course, he and Leonardo traded barbs in the media very publicly. And he got <laughs> sacked. So this is a match made in hell in yeah. that way, <laughs> which I just, I don't know. when I mean... If you're going to pick a fight with Marina Granovskaya or, or Roman Abramovich, you're done. Yeah. You're so done. <laughs> going to end, so, up, end up poisoned in a London hospital. like Truly. <laughs> <laughs> like nerve agent. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, just a very, very interesting appointment. Um, what's What do you think about it? I... Like you said, I think I think the the player side, like the personnel side, the the fact that he is German and the two biggest signings that they made over the summer are German and having trouble kind of like betting in. I think it'll I think that'll help um, certainly. 
So I think it makes loads of sense. Yeah. From the personnel standpoint, certainly like his profile suggests that he could be a massive success at a club like Chelsea. It's the behind the scenes where, you know, maybe, maybe they can come to that much of an agreement where he can just be a coach and doesn't have to worry about kind of the, like the backroom stuff doesn't have to do like the talent identification, whatever he can just be a manager can just manage like the training and tactics and, and just, you know, stick to football if you will. Um, but yeah, like you said, the, if, if he starts to get like mouthy with, uh, with, with Abramovich in the media, it, he he's not going to have the same leeway that he did when he did it at, at PSG. So um, yeah, it could spell the end like pretty quickly if he doesn't, if he doesn't play nice with his boss. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing too, that is interesting for me about Tuchel is that when he's fallen out with previous clubs, they've never, it's never been about the same thing necessarily. Right. Um, at Dortmund, it was about football and wanting to have more say on the decisions and maybe some other things that I'm not remembering right now. And then at PSG, it was about just feeling like he, I mean, he pretty much said it like this feels like I work for like, you know, a political think tank and not just a football club. And it's like, yeah. well, what do you think Chelsea is? Chelsea is a brand. Yeah. You know, they are, they call themselves the pride of London. I mean, they're trying to be the biggest club in London and in the world. Um, you know, they are one of the biggest clubs in the world and they've yeah. signed marquee players. So it's, you're always going to be more than just a manager at Chelsea. And so it's, it's going to be really interesting to see um, how he deals with it. But uh, I'm also interested to find out kind of what, what the expectations are. Cause I, I mean, I don't think a title challenge is on this season. Um, so I don't know. Is it just making Europe? Like I think, <laughs> it'll be very interesting. I think it's interesting because I think Tuchel gets now a free hit, like in this se- in this half season. Like yeah, because he's not. I mean, gosh. Well, I say it's not possible. It, it's certainly possible that he would be sacked within the. <laughs> but I, I I doubt that they would go that route. They've basically bought themselves another half season of goodwill. Um, in terms of like mm-hmm. uh, managerial change, like upheaval, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. but yeah, so I think, I, I think the expectation is, is probably Europe, but you know, even the champions league is, is going to be a, a tough ask the way the league is shaking out right now. Um, yeah. still half a season to go. So it's not like completely out of the question, especially with the personnel available to them. Um, but, but yeah, I think. I think it'll be very interesting to see how he he adapts to to life at Chelsea um, and the English media and like it's going to be a pretty interesting uh, thing. I mean, he's dealt with the French media, which is its own like beast uh, in and of <laughs> itself. But I guess we'll see. Um, it'll be very interesting. He's traded a Qatari soft power tool for the soft power tool of a Russian oligarch. So, um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so Tuchel looks to be, to be London bound and, um, and yeah, we'll obviously be watching Chelsea with a lot of interest and hopefully, I mean, my hope is, you know, if they're going to sack Lampard, hopefully the outcome is, is beneficial for, um, 
those those players that they have brought in um and we can start to see the best of of some of the players that we were excited to see in the premier league yeah truly i I mean i'm sure joachim love is looking at this very closely Mm. (laughs) and seeing what what happens next with these two german stars or or stars in the making at least so best of luck to him i chelsea man chelsea job that's that takes bravery to accept that job. <laughs> it does. But I guess if you've had the PSG job, then you can basically do anything. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's fair. In England, uh, this, this past weekend, it was an FA Cup weekend, um, and the marquee matchup of, of the weekend was a Northwest Derby, Manchester United versus Liverpool. We had just had um, that same matchup in the league, uh, you know, just a week ago. Um, as well that ended nil nil um this one quite quite a different sort of match at old trafford and manchester united run out three two winners uh bruno fernandes getting the uh the winner just like in the in you know in the last like 12 minutes um and uh from a free kick and yeah, Liverpool on a on a rough stretch right now. Um, Klopp's worst run as Liverpool manager um, occurring, and uh, knocked out of the FA Cup by their big rivals. Yeah, that's 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 rough for Liverpool fans. But I have to say, as a neutral, I really enjoyed this match. Um, dare I say this is a classic FA Cup tie? I mean, it really had everything to rivals. Um, actual goals being scored <laughs> as these, these matches have been very cagey between, between these two great rivals in the league. So um, I was really, I was really enjoying it. I thought, I thought both teams kind of let loose a little bit. I mean, there was a lot of rotation, so that probably had a lot to do with it too. Um, Manchester United certainly opened up. And I think that, uh, that, obviously led to the the scoreline that we have here three two and also Liverpool actually scoring goals which we know yeah. they've they've kind of um you know been going through a dry spell I thought Salah looked really really good um yeah. back to his best you know chipping keepers and and just doing his thing um I think for me though what uh if I were a Liverpool fan I don't know that I'd take I draw too many conclusions from this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the FA Cup, I feel like, is its own beast. But what I would say is that man, Liverpool just need to put their principles aside for one transfer window, give themselves a COVID pass, and just go <laughs> and buy a center back because Reese Williams was totally out of his depth in this one. And I don't even blame him. He's a young man, um, mm. you know, playing, was it non league? football last season yeah or yeah like in the national league. the national league uh yeah. for kidderminster harriers so yeah so yeah. you know I, liverpool are sticking hard to their principles and that they're not going to buy someone unless that is actually their number one target and they're willing to wait and i think that's fine mm-hmm. in normal circumstances i mean that's what gets you players like virgil van dyke that's perfectly respectable but i mean at the cost of this kid's development and you know confidence and the team's results i think liverpool just need to go out there and get a center back that's just my opinion on that (laughs) yeah well it's interesting because that exact that exact point is why 
as a Liverpool fan, I'm actually kind of encouraged by this performance. As weird as that might sound, um, mm. overall, I thought Liverpool played really well, and I and I thought, yeah, I thought they, uh, especially for being at Old Trafford and and all of that, I thought it was very encouraging to see the patterns in attack be less predictable, less like just. I mean, it's been hit and hope for crosses for the last like four weeks. Um, and so to see the kind of back to the intricate interplay on the edge of the box, um, seeing Firmino like much sharper in possession and his link up much better than it has been recently. Um, Sal, obviously, as you said, like he looks sharp again. So all of the pieces that I'm looking at and questionably over the last few weeks, started to look a lot better. I thought Wijnaldum was really good. Curtis Jones looked really, really good again. And I'm actually now kind of, I'm thinking that Curtis Jones may have had COVID or something because he's been missing for a little bit. Mm. And I'm not exactly sure why, because it certainly wasn't on form. Like he was playing really well. Right. And so he was straight back into the team and played really well. So I, I'm not sure exactly what was going on there. Um, Robertson and, and Alexander Arnold looked looked better in this one um, than they have. And uh, it really was just down to, you know, we get hit on the counter and what a ball from Marcus Rashford to find Mason Greenwood on the initial one. It's just over the head of James Milner trying to clear yeah. it. Um, the uh, the second goal is a case, uh, like you said, it's Reese Williams being caught out by, uh, you know, obviously a world-class forward, um, yeah. Marcus Rashford, who, you know, makes no mistake with the finish. And then, and then, uh, the, the free kick is really good. Um, I thought Edinson Cavani does quite a bit to earn that foul on the edge of the mm. area. I thought he kind of bought it, um, more than, more than Fabinho paid for it. But, uh, but yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a lovely free kick into the corner. Um, and one that as soon as the foul was given, it felt like something was going to happen. Um, I've seen a lot of people say Allison should have done better on it. Do you, do you believe that? I, I, I think he's that, I mean, I think he's unsighted. Um, and I think he gets across actually pretty well because if it's anywhere except into the side netting, he saves it. So it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it had to be exactly in the corner. Um, to get it past Allison. So, I mean, maybe, but it's taken from, it's taken from, you know, the edge of the area. He gets a decent amount of power on it. And I, I don't think Allison sees it until quite late. Um, and if it's not right in the corner, then it, then he would have saved it. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's a, it's a great place strike. Um, and, and United get the win, um, in what was an even and back and forth game where, both teams end with the same exact amount of shots and shots on target. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like you said for the neutral, obviously a great game to watch disappointing result for Liverpool in the end, but on the whole, I thought it was actually a pretty encouraging performance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you made the point about attacking patterns and I thought you definitely saw that with this one. It just, the Liverpool of old, I guess. And I think just one, one instance of, of quality ends, ends in three, two for Manchester United. So again, like I don't, I, if I were a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't 
draw too many doomsday conclusions from this one. <laughs> There's just things to note and you move on. The uh, the rest of the action in the fourth round of the FA Cup, we'll just round up quickly. Uh, both our clubs are out of the FA Cup, unfortunately. Arsenal yep. downed by by Southampton, just 1-0. Um, any, any parting thoughts for the holders? <laughs> oh, we were awful. <laughs> um, Arteta rotated quite a bit. I think perhaps maybe he rotated too much if we were wanting to stay in this competition, but the fringe players showed why they are fringe players. There's just too many players on the books at Arsenal that just aren't good enough. And I'm not actually that bothered by it. Um, Southampton are like our direct rival in the league, which is insane to say. So (laughs) we have them up next. So I was kind of thinking ahead to that anyway. So, oh, well, fair enough. Uh, Wolves downed uh, Cinderella story. Chorley uh, one nil. Yeah. That Barely. was closer than than many would have thought, but Vitor Ferreira scoring for Wolves, so a rotated yeah. side getting yeah. getting past uh, getting past Chorley. Uh, Brighton beat Blackpool two one. Uh, Bristol City get past Millwall three nil. Barnsley beat Norwich City one nil. Sheffield United win against hey. Plymouth Argyle, but <laughs> but oh, a win's a win. Up Swansea five one winners over Nottingham Forest. Um demolition job for the Swans and West Ham beat Doncaster four nil. City beat Cheltenham three one, but Alfie May for Cheltenham actually opened the scoring in the fifty ninth minute and it it was inside the final 10 minutes that city scored all three goals. It was looking like Cheltenham may come away with a famous win and it ends up looking like a comfortable one for city. Yeah. I I'm not going to lie. I only saw the score line, but I kept hearing people say it was a lot closer than it appeared. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Chelsea similarly in, in Frank Lampard's last game in charge, three, one winners over Luton town, um Burnley real quick, be- yeah real quick I think it's very poetic that in Lampard's last game Mason Mount captains the side and Kepa makes a mistake <laughs> <laughs> just, just defining saying. defining the the Lampard era in into <laughs> into moves um Burnley beat Fulham 3-0 uh Leicester City beat Brentford 3-1 um, Everton beat Sheffield Wednesday three nil, which this produced a pretty funny moment um, because in the promo for the Everton Sheffield Wednesday game, a commentator Martin Tyler during the United Liverpool game said two clubs that haven't won a trophy since the 1990s for Everton Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> like, oh, that wow. is, oh what a burn on Everton. It's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, and then uh Tottenham beat Wickham 4-1, uh continuing their uh triumphs over over lowly sides as they <laughs> as they power their way through the FA Cup. Uh and uh Bournemouth take on Crawley Town actually tomorrow. I think that game was postponed due to like the pitch or something. Um I might actually try and watch that one because a certain Jack Wilshire is now a cherry. Yeah. And, uh I would like to see what he can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, yeah, the fifth round is the weekend of February 10th. And most of those matchups are actually drawn out. Everton, Tottenham, Wolves, Southampton, Swansea city. Well, Swansea versus man city, <laughs> mm, <laughs> Leicester Swansea, city, yeah. 
Brighton, uh, Burnley is taking on the winner of Bournemouth and Crawley, uh, Manchester United versus West Ham United, Sheffield United versus Bristol City, and Barnsley Chelsea. So maybe a couple of opportunities in there for championship clubs to get one over a Premier League team or two if they're ro- if they rotate enough. Um, but uh, but yeah. So um, well, I guess we've got plenty more to talk about across the whole continent. So maybe a quick break and then on to, uh, on to Spain. Sounds good. Welcome back. Uh, turning to La Liga now, Mika, we've got the the big matchup was obviously like towards the top of the table at Letty trying to, to keep the pace ahead. They get the 3-1 win over Valencia, but this was a game that featured, as we've come to define it, the Schadentor, the, the, <laughs> the great goal scored in the loss, and Juros Rosic may have scored the Schadentor in that this goal was unbelievable for Valencia. Oh my goodness. It's like from 40 yards or something ridiculous like that. And the power and the swerve and the fact that Rashid calls for this ball, (laughs) this is what he wants to do before the ball gets to him. It is an absolutely insane strike by the Serbian. If you haven't seen it, look it up, go on our Twitter. I've, I've retweeted it for all to see because it's absolutely incredible. Um, I, I mean, it's got to be up there for Pushkas, I hope, because yeah. it is fantastic. Fortunately, unfortunately, it was the only joy really that Valencia would see in this one, but yeah. that'll live with him <laughs> for the while and for in, in the minds of Los Che fans, for sure. It's just beautiful. I could speak about this goal for the next hour and not Let's say and not say <laughs> enough about it. Um, so as you pointed out, it is from quite a distance and he is screaming for the ball to, to come to his feet. Like he is wants the ball played to feet. It doesn't make any sense. Like the ball is out on the wing. He Mm -hmm. is miles from goal and he's screaming for the ball to be played to his feet. And as the ball rolls to him, you're thinking, okay, like, where's he going to play this pass? He's in loads of space to mm-hmm. be fair at Letty leave him quite open, but he is hitting that ball from, from the word go. He knows <laughs> exactly what he's doing and he hits across it with his left foot. Like you said, generating so much power, so much swerve. Jan Oblak is in goal and he's facing a shot from 30 plus yards you would back him to save that anytime. He has no shot. Absolutely no <laughs> chance of reaching this ball. It's unbelievable. It's so yeah. good. Like, but sometimes that feels like the only way you're going to beat Yano Black is with true. something ridiculous like this. You need the screamer. Um, <laughs> I love as well the reaction of Rosic because he sprints across the field and knee slides into Javi Gracia. 
like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. almost wipes him out uh because trying to trying to celebrate with him but it was such a cool like unbelievable goal and obviously on a, a big stage against against Atleti as well um Rosic has been described as the Serbian Pogba and this felt like a Pogba, like France Pogba, by the way, mm, like mm. France Pogba goal. But uh, I mean, unbelievable strike and just my uh, my God, the skill involved was just a, a joy to behold. Um, as you said, though, Atleti w- deserved winners of in this one. And they do see out the three one win to stay to stay top. Yeah, after that, it was pretty professional from Atleti. Luis Suarez ends up scoring on his 34th birthday. So uh, he's up there um, trying to win the Pichichi. And I think Angel Correa scored, and I'm forgetting mm-hmm. who the third one was. But Joao Felix uh, uh, scored Joao the, Felix. the opener. It was That's really right. scrappy and featured one of the weirdest celebrations afterwards as well, where he ended up on the ground, and then a bunch of people pretended to step on him. Like, his teammates <laughs> pretended to, like, stomp on his back. It was really bizarre. Oh, my God. That must be some kind of hazing ritual or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, at, at the end of the day, I mean, props that let's either now seven points clear at the top of La Liga leading um, Real Madrid, of course, their hated city rivals. So, yeah, I mean, not much more to say about it. I think I think yeah. let the are still for me, the favorites. And, uh, you know, with each result that they get like this and with each you know, with the space that they create on, on the rest of the table, I feel like the pressure just grows even more. Um, so I don't know, hopefully they can keep it up, but, uh, it, it was a good game. I, I watched, I actually rewatched it last night. Once I, uh, figured out what had happened with this Rossage goal, I was like, yeah. okay, I got to watch the rest of this. <laughs> it, uh, it was a very good game. Yeah. And I mean, credit to Valencia for hanging, hanging in there against, against obviously the best side in Spain right now, um, by, by a little bit they of a distance. Bad, so, no, but, uh, when, when Mukhtar Diakabe went off with that injury, I felt like they really lost something there. I mean, he's yeah. a rock for them at the back. So yeah. Added some goals as well from, uh, from set pieces at times mm. Diakabe. So yeah, tough one to lose. Um, but Valencia downed, um, by Atleti, um, the, other big matchup uh, that obviously you have a rooting interest in being a Betis fan yourself, uh, mm. Real Sociedad versus Real Betis um, ends two two. Sociedad looked like they were going to see this one out, and in the final five minutes, Real Betis find two goals and and eke out the draw. Yeah, Real Betis certainly battled back. The the Canales is. Uh, one that have the arrears was in like the 85th minute and then 39 year old Joaquin comes on and scores in like the 92nd. So definitely stole a point at Anoeta. Larry Aller are going to be looking at themselves wondering how the hell they let three points escape them because they controlled the ball. They had more shots, more chances created, but they just lost focus at the end. And this is something that you're seeing with Larry in general recently. Yeah. Um, So it's a bit troubling for them. I'd be very, very, annoyed if I supported Lariel and, and the, the 2-0 lead which you know as they say is the most dangerous lead in football and and for Betis it's great they get to hang out uh, still in mid-table they're their eighth and I think Betis would be just fine with that and Lariel having led La Liga for a pretty good period of time at the beginning of the season are down to sixth now 
Um, so yeah. yeah, it's been a rough run for, for uh, Real Sociedad. Um, Alguacil will be just questioning how they didn't get the win. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think it's a worrying trend for them because they just aren't seeing games out. Um, and they're, when they have a chance to kind of stamp their authority, they're just not doing it. Um, Alexander Izak scores again though. And he's, he's mm. been on a good run of form almost in a complete like inverse relationship with their actual results. That is strange. Huh? He, he is scoring and they're not winning. It's very weird. <laughs> um, the other bass club, well, the bass club, I think many would say athletic club, uh, ran out five, one winners against Hatafe. And this is a like dominant performance from mm-hmm. Bilbao and Marcelino building on that Supercopa victory. And they look a completely different side with Marcelino at the helm. Yeah. Marcelino is really, I feel like he's really simplified things. Uh, they're playing, uh, they're running this four, four, two, they got Munayin out wide and Raul Garcia and Iñaki Williams kind of feeding off each other and, and scoring a bunch of goals. Um, you know, since Marcelino has been hired, he's beaten Real Madrid, he's beaten Barcelona, and now he's thrashed Hitafe 5-1. Um, so his impact cannot be uh, overstated. And I, I love this for him because I feel like the way that he was treated at Valencia towards the end was disgraceful. I mean, he, he got fired for winning Copa del Rey. So <laughs> just, I, I don't even know what the hell to say about that. I'm, I'm glad he's found a, uh, a job pretty soon thereafter and a big one athletic club is a, a huge club yeah. um you know and expectations there are high even though they they don't buy players i mean everyone knows they kind of rely on their cantera so um it's really encouraging stuff and yeah um they're doing really well and and shout, i just want to shout out though marco curea from hitafe he scores the opener for hitafe in like 30 seconds yeah. or something crazy <laughs> like that and i really really like this player he's one of um one of my favorite players to watch in La Liga. I have no idea why Barcelona let him go. He should be Jordi Alba's understudy, if not outright replacing him. But um, he's always buzzing around, working very hard. And and uh, I think he's one to watch, certainly, for Hitafe, but not their day-to-day. No. Uh, yeah, certainly not. And uh, it was, though, the day for Yusuf and Nasiri, uh, who we had questions. We had questions about Sevilla's uh, replacement for yeah. uh for Wissam Ben Yedder. Um we had we had these we weren't sure if he would match the finishing ability that, that Ben Yedder was was so well known for and uh and Nasiri with another hat trick for Sevilla yeah. <laughs> and uh now I believe top of or joint top of the of the Pachichi standings. Yeah. Yeah I think that's right. He's I mean, I think he showed Julian Lopetegui, like, look, you need to stop rotating me and Luke de Jong. I'm the I'm the man here. <laughs> um, and I I know you and I spoke earlier in the season that Sevilla had a bit of a goal scoring problem, and I think that had to do with the fact that they were still trying to figure out who should lead the line. And I think now we have that answer. It's in the city, and he's been excellent. Um, and of course, anytime a striker in Europe gets hot, West Ham come in for him. So, <laughs> so um, I've I've read that they've lodged a, an offer, but um, I, I think Sevilla would be foolish to let Enesiri go right now because he is he's the guy right now. I think yeah. that it, 
if they could keep him and then bring in Papu Gomez, which I'm sure we'll get onto later, then yeah. then they can ro- you know continue rocking up the table. And from uh, from what I have heard, West Ham had two bids rejected for Nasiri and moved on. Um, okay. That was that was the word that I that I saw from several you know uh, transfer accounts. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's an interesting one because Ben Ben Yetter's their inability to replace Ben Yetter initially, I think was part of the reason that they, that they would be cautious. Like I, I would hope they would learn from that in, in that, you know, they sold Ben Yetter and then emergency bought Chicharito that summer, like to Mm. try to have someone. Um, and that obviously was very short lived. Like he went to LA galaxy like shortly after. Um, and, they ended up buying and the the following January, but he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, you know, starting regularly, um, at that point. So I think, I think now, yeah, they'd be, they'd be crazy to sell him, um, in January. I mean, certainly he may move on at some point for probably a lot more than what West Ham are, are tossing around in Corona January. So, um, true. Yeah. Um, no, I think in will be in Sevilla at least for the rest of the season. And then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens because any, any commodity like that, uh, could, you know, get a big club to part with some pretty hefty fees. If, especially if he's up towards the top of La Liga's goal scoring charts. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I don't, he's got a penchant for hat tricks. He was the first uh, Leganes player, I believe, in their history to score a hat trick against Real Betis, and that's the reason why I know that. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, he's he's a very talented player, and um, yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see uh, if he can keep up the race in the Pichichi. It would be interesting to have a new winner, I suppose. And he's outscoring Messi right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that leaves the La Liga table um, with, as we said, Atleti seven points clear at the top um, on 47. Real Madrid having played a game more on 40 in second. Barcelona up to third now, um, mm. but three points behind Real Madrid. And Sevilla just a single point behind Barcelona in fourth, rounding out those Champions League places. Villarreal in fifth, just two points behind Sevilla. Sociedad, Granada, Betis, Athletic Club, and uh, Celta Vigo uh, rounding out the top 10. Um, And then still extremely tight at the bottom, uh, Valencia, Abar, and Valladolid all level on 20 points um, with Osasuna hovering just above the drop zone on 19. Deportivo, Alaves, Elche, and Huesca, propping up the table at the other end. And uh, it's incre- It's looking increasingly likely that Huesca's uh, going to continue their yo-yo uh, status <laughs> in, uh, in the Spanish pyramid. Yeah, and then be back the following year. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other thing we actually have uh, coming up tomorrow and... Um, and Wednesday and Thursday, the Copa del Rey round of 16 um, and a few interesting matchups um, in that one. Valladolid taking on Levante, Hirona uh, against Villarreal and 
interestingly enough, with them having just faced off in the league, Betis and Sociedad drawn in the in the Copa as well. Um, so yeah. they face off tomorrow afternoon. And uh, Sevilla Valencia on Wednesday, Almeria and, and Osasuna, Rio Vallecano against Barcelona. So an interesting one <laughs> for, uh, for Rio. And then uh, Granada taking on a way lower league side, Navo Carnero, um, and then Alcoyano, who famously downed Real Madrid in the last, in the last round, taking on athletic club. Um, so yeah, a, uh, an interesting set of fixtures certainly there. And I, I wonder if we'll see another giant killing. Can Alcoyano mm. continue their, their Cinderella run against, against Marcelino's Bilbao or will Marcelino, be on his way to another trophy. Another trophy? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not for me in the realm of impossibility. I think if there's an, if there's going to be any like slight upset, I'm actually looking at uh, Almeria Osasuna. I think Almeria might actually be able to get something over this Osasuna side. They're, I think they're currently third in Segunda, and and they're a team that's had a lot of investment, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of good players uh, that are there. So. um the team that uh, developed Thomas Partey. So um, maybe them, maybe they'll be the ones to, to maybe do a, not quite, you know, Alcoyano levels, but it would be an upset <laughs> considering they're in Segunda. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That was uh, maybe, a, maybe a bit much to ask uh, for another <laughs> upset of, of that proportion. Um, still can't quite believe that that happened. Um, but um Moving, moving over to Germany now, um, an interesting, like massive matchup kicked off the weekend on Friday, Mönchengladbach who have been so kind of inconsistent in the league, but their form seems to have picked up, especially recently took on Dortmund who again, been patchy a little bit, not as consistent as, as maybe we expected. And in a great back and forth match, Gladbach uh come out four two winners. Um what what a match first off, but what a result for Gladbach. Oh yeah, this is a, a fantastic result and a, a historic one actually. This is the first time Gladbach have defeated Dortmund in the league since 2014-2015, if I'm not mistaken. So oh my goodness, it's been a long time coming. I, I actually always dread this match, the Battle of the Borussias, because we just get our ass handed to us usually. <laughs> um but uh yeah, Dortmund's inability and apparent unwillingness <laughs> to defend set pieces was their undoing on, yeah. in this one. Um, they just, I mean, plenty of times they're just standing there or Mats Hummels is actually instructing people to like hold the line. <laughs> and it was, it did not work out for them. Yeah. Um, and, and actually I think, you know, you, you, we hear these whispers of Marco Hosa to to uh, Dortmund, and I think rightly so because for me, Gladbach are playing the football that Dortmund only could dream of right now. I think this is what they wish they they were playing like as a team: fast transitions, um, you know, attacking football. For me, Dortmund they score their two goals because of of two individuals who are very high quality, not because of necessarily anything system oriented. Sure. Maybe that's a bit harsh on Terzic, but I just felt like it was Holland and Sancho kind of doing their thing and yeah. not necessarily because of any setup or instruction necessarily. So sure. with Gladbach, it was very much like 
team moves and, and uh, you know, set pieces and which Marco Rose actually doesn't practice set pieces. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> we, we did so well on them. But again, I think Dortmund just decided they weren't bothered with those. Yeah. He actually, I think he said in the post-match that like, we're the, we're the first team to like score this many, this many set piece goals without, without practicing them. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like shambolic at times, um, from Dortmund defensively. Um, the, the fourth, the Marcus Turam goal, like was embarrassing, like on a number of levels, as was Elvedi second, because truly yeah. like no Dortmund player moves a muscle. Like they just all stand as if, as if they well, have and, to and like, that's why I kind of like had like muted celebrations throughout. Cause I'm like, Oh, no one's moving. Maybe it's offside. Like, let right. me wait. it's like, no, it's totally fine. He just didn't defend. Yeah. <laughs> the as you said, like Holland's Holland's goals, especially his second on the turn, um, it, just like classic number nine goals, and just demonstrating how deadly of a striker he is, yeah, um, and how good he will be. But the best strike of the game comes from an unlikely source: Benson Baini getting down the the, the left hand side, hit the uh, the fake shot R one circle like FIFA goal, yeah, and bent it inside the post. It, fantastic strike from the from the left back. Yeah, on his quote weak foot. Yeah, <laughs> he could have fooled me. It was great. I mean, Ben Spaini's always got that sauce, though. Like he he's very adept on the ball, and it it was nice to see him rewarded for once for bombing up. Um, he he does a lot of hard work, both him and Stefan Liner on on you know the wing back position. So it was just a lot of quality on display, and and a, a good game for the neutrals and a good advertisement, I think, for the Bundesliga. The um. Yeah, I mean, such a an interesting one for Dortmund too because they they obviously they they're down to seventh now um and a couple losses in a row um for uh for them having it looked like they had turned a corner maybe um Gladbach on the other hand up to fifth. So, yeah, a, a nice little boost in the table for uh for Munchen Gladbach. Um at the other end Hertha Berlin um, are back to the drawing board. Bruno Labadia uh, shown the exit uh, along with their sporting director, Michael Preetz, who had been at the club for 25 years. Um, Like unbelievable shakeup by Hertha Berlin. And increasingly they feel like a club without a clear vision of what they're actually trying to do. (laughs) Well, from what I gather from Hertha fans online, the reason why they seem to be so shambolic is because of Michael Pratt. A lot of people <laughs> seem to be happy about seeing the back of him. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone knows Hertha have had significant investment in, in recent years. They've spent quite a bit of money and they don't look any closer to challenging seriously. Um, I, I kind of feel for Bruno Labadia in a, in a way. Um, but this happens a lot with him where they, you know, his teams get off to a good start and then it kind of just goes to shit. Yeah. Um, and it clearly wasn't working at hurt anymore. They they've won, I think one of their last eight league games. Um, so yeah, I think it was just time, time for something new. And apparently Paul Dodd is going to come back as, as head coach. 
um, having previously coached the team before. So um, maybe a bit of familiarity will, will help them just kind of see out the season. But um, yeah, I, We'll see. We'll see what happens with with Eartha. Maybe maybe they can maybe they can get a Ralph Rangnick or someone similar to actually come and run the club the way it should be. Because this Hertha should be a bigger club than they are and yeah. a more successful one than they are. They represent a huge metropolitan city, um, and it's just a shame that they're kind of middling. So. And for the amount of money that they've spent as well, like they right, if they had a coherent transfer strategy, um, they could easily like assemble a squad that could compete in the Bundesliga. Cause they, they spend a lot of money compared to compared to most of the, you know, uh, they're not up there with Bayern, but they're certainly spending more, you know, than your Freiburgs and, and Eintracht's like you're, they're spending like for sure loads. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, um, maybe it is, you know, maybe it was Pretz more than anyone. Um, and uh, yeah. maybe maybe getting in a, a decent sporting director could could turn things around for them. Um, the Capital Club just looking all over the place at the moment. Um, so around the league, um, Augsburg beat Union 2-1 and Union with a nice little winning streak uh, ended at, at the hands of the Bavarians. Um, Leverkusen lose to Wolfsburg and... Leverkusen looked like they might build some momentum based on last week and uh, Wolfsburg just consistent, like played, didn't play particularly like lights out or anything like that, but, uh, but a one nil win. Uh, yeah. W- the one goal good enough to uh, secure the win Freiburg win um, at, at Stutt- or against Stuttgart um, and a real shock and maybe the one of the shocks of the of the season, Mainz, who are down in seventeenth, get a three two win over RB Leipzig, and uh, just a crazy like set of goals, two set piece goals scored by a center back, um, and then uh, a kind of ridiculous flick from uh, Barrero that. Um, he celebrated as intensely as any goal I've seen <laughs> celebrated in recent memory as he pounded the ground, like he punched the ground with his fist um, in celebration. Um, all of that canceling out Tyler Adams first Bundesliga goal for, for Leipzig. I know, man, that's so sad. It, it's his first one ever, right? I yeah. Mean, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think the purple kits are cursed. I don't think I've ever seen Leipzig, play particularly well in them i'm i'm real big on kits and performance (laughs) yeah but uh i mean they rotated the midfield a lot in this one and kind of had like a different kind of setup than than i'm used to seeing rb Leipzig play so in a way i'm almost not surprised that it kind of went sideways but still you should be beating mice that's pretty insane Eintracht Frankfurt uh, beat Arminia Bielefeld uh, 5-1. And I mean, Bielefeld not didn't play great. Uh, I think it, it has to be said, but um, the finishing from Frankfurt is just like next level. And this attack re-energized by the, the reintroduction of Luka Jovic is looking very very good um Andre Silva was already f- 
fit and firing uh, well before mm-hmm. he came back. And now Jovic with another goal uh, since his return and um, just looks right back to his old ways um, in, in uh, red and white for, for the Eagles. Yeah, definitely. I saw a lot of Frankfurt fans like roasting Bielefeld's pitch though. <laughs> <laughs> apparently it didn't make a difference. Five one's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Werder Bremen uh, basically got Bruno Labadia sacked um, with a four one win um, in in the Olympia Stadion, uh, and Josh Sargent scored a, a, a rocket in this one. Yo, Sargent, Adams, Hoppy, Americans going off. Yeah, yeah. Um, he put the icing on the cake of the four one, um, Bayern beat Schalke four nil. And I mean, as crazy as this may sound and you can, you can definitely tell me if I'm wrong, but Bayern just absolutely shellacking Schalke this time around felt a lot different than the seven nil. And I know it's like three goals is the difference, but this didn't feel like that bad of a performance from Schalke. And they were actually in this game for a little while. Like it just seemed to get away from them maybe towards the end. But I, I didn't feel as like, if I'm a Schalke fan, I'm not feeling very hopeless after, after that game against Bayern. Yeah. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. I mean, they did have 40% possession. That's not bad um, against, you know, the champions. And I think, with that being said, what's also what's kind of troubling about that is that Bayern didn't didn't really have, I think, a fantastic game, and yet they're sitting top of the table. So we're starting to see like this same old pattern where, yeah, you know, they're kind of just inevitable, and they're going to keep on, you know, just blazing through teams whether they're doing particularly well on day or not. But yeah, um, you know, as far as Schalke are concerned, I mean, I think, I think they're still probably doomed, but. Perhaps they could come back <laughs> a lot stronger. Hoffenheim beat Köln three uh, nil, and uh, another struggling club there in in FC Köln. Um, so at that leaves the table. Bayern, as you, as you said, um, distancing themselves at the top um, with Leipzig's loss. So they're now seven points clear of RB Leipzig in second. Um, Leverkusen are three points behind Leipzig in third. And then Wolfsburg uh, level with Leverkusen on 32 points, um, sitting fourth on goal difference with Mönchengladbach just a point behind. Um, and Eintracht Frankfurt up up to six now and looking like they could threaten the, the Champions League play or at least at least push for a Champions League spot. Um, and Dortmund down to seventh, uh, just a point ahead of Union Berlin. Freiburg up to ninth and... Uh, Stuttgart in 10th a little bit of distance though kind of created between 9th and 10th where that top nine is almost its own thing Um, (laughs) starting to become kind of a mini league it's in and of itself in the top half Um, towards the bottom uh, Hertha in 14th level with Arminia Bielefeld um, who will be happy to be out of the drop zone um, FC Köln down in that relegation playoff spot and five points ahead of Mainz who are 
despite that win against RB Leipzig are still 17th and five points from the relegation playoff spot and Schalke still bottom of the table, just seven points to their name. So yeah, things are looking pretty bleak in the Bundesliga at the bottom, uh, unfortunately for Mainz and Schalke, but still, still plenty of time left for them to uh, go on a, a great escape. <laughs> The um, so over to Syria. Ah, um, the result of the weekend. There's no, there's no uh, getting around it. It's it's Atalanta three, AC Milan nil in the San Siro. Um, not really what we were expecting. I don't think uh, from this one, but. Uh, Gasparini side playing lights out away from home against, against the leaders. Yeah. I think we thought there was going to be a, a game, but I didn't think there was going to be a thrashing. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, to be fair to AC Milan, they played a bit of a rotated side. They've got some injuries. They had suspensions to, to Alessio Romagnoli and Alexis Salamakers. Um, but even so Atalanta, they made 14 chances to AC Milan's 10 and Milan just looked really lethargic like, you know, just leggy. Um, they're still top of the table, so they didn't do too much damage, but uh, Atalanta go level on points with Juventus. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Turin side is probably more annoyed with this result than AC Milan <laughs> might be. Um, but I think it really popped off towards the end, right? I yeah. mean, with Zlatan and, and Duman Zapata. <laughs> and then what you, you tweeted today, Martin Darun kind of like stirring the pot a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) This is the best. So Martin Darun, uh, well, okay. So at the end of the match, Zlatan, I guess was upset that Duvan Zapata was maybe like, I don't know if Zapata said something to him, but Zapata was kind of antagonizing, antagonizing Zlatan saying, Oh, you wanted your like 13th penalty. They, you know, Milan thought they, they had a penalty and it was called. Right. And he said, he said to Zapata, I've, I've scored more goals than you've played games basically. Like, um, which like may technically be true, but his career has also been like 25 years. So it's like, it, you know, it's like, math- I, w- I would hope so. Sorry. Yeah. Like mathematically <laughs> it kind of has to, but anyways, like they were down three nil, um, at that point. And so Martin Darun <laughs> posts a video, that is Zlatan saying that to Zapata and then a reel of Atalanta's three goals plays with the curb <laughs> your enthusiasm soundtrack over it. Like, and, uh, <laughs> and then like the credits roll from curb your enthusiasm. And it was <laughs> so funny. Like I thought that was, the idea that someone is going out of their way to like meme Zlatan is like his worst nightmare. <laughs> that is. And then, and then his comment was like runs away or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Post video and run and hides or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was, I thought that was great. And I just, you know, I think in this case, like Atalanta were full value for the win and I get, you know, Zlatan's always going to like talk shit. He's like the most arrogant, athlete ever which is insane to say because there's so many egos out there 
but I literally can't think of someone like who is more egotistical than, than Zlatan. Um, so yeah, it was nice to see him humbled a little bit. Um, if I'm honest and (laughs) full credit to Atalanta, like for the way that they played in this game. And I just want to like, I want to take this opportunity to talk again. I know we've talked about him in the past, but Joseph Ilicic is unbelievable in this Atalanta side. Like, and so key to so much of what they do. Um, he wins the penalty that he scores. And obviously it's primarily for getting elbowed in the face by Frank Kessie, but like his moves around the outside, uh, around the box, like his dribbling, his passing, his scoring, his creation, it's all just top tier. Um, and this At- Atalanta team would not be the same without him. So I just, I just think like, cannot say enough about Ilicic as, as a player. He just looks unbelievable. And it's funny. I mean, he was obviously a hyped player when he came up, um, but it seems like he's gotten a lot better as even as he's gotten older and, and, and grown in this, in this Atalanta side. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph village is actually turning 33 this week. Um, so uh, I mean, he it was well documented that he had kind of a rough off season and I think Gasparini's done really well to integrate him back in and he see he seems to I mean it, it feels like Pavel Gomez is missing it's not that obvious because Ilicic is doing all of those things he's got nine goal involvements in in 13 appearances so yeah he's absolutely key uh for for the Bergamo side the the other notable upset uh this weekend a, a squad we've shouted out quite frequently because we're like, Hey, they keep climbing the table. Uh, hell's Verona <laughs> three, uh, Napoli one. And despite Chucky Lozano, uh, scoring inside the first like 20 seconds, um, yeah. Verona scored three goals unanswered. Um, and we're the better team. It must be said, uh, th- in this one um and napoli looked pretty poor like they uh, were horrific (laughs) like defensively i mean i i i sent that screenshot in our group chat of like they're defending on the first goal it's literally a four on two yeah (laughs) and demarco the eventual goal scorer is totally alone in the box kulabali had stepped up to engage the striker and just no one decided to help him defend um, and it's an easy first goal. And then from there, they just kind of kept attacking in waves. I think it could have been four or five nil without Alex Merritt back there in the goal. Um, just shocking defending from Napoli. And, um, I mean, there, there's some whispers that Gennaro Gattuso's on the hot seat and, uh, yeah, uh, he, he needs to turn around ASAP or he's going to get sacked. And I've <laughs> heard that a certain Rafa Benitez has left Dalian Yifang and maybe is fancying another job in Europe. So that's a shout. That's a shout. (laughs) I could see it. Absolutely. I think, (laughs) I think he would, I think it would be great uh, in, in Italy. I'm surprised he hasn't taken a prominent job in Italy before because he's an organization first guy. Yeah. yeah, He's like, he's a, I mean, he's the Spanish version version of Calcio. Like, yeah, and I mean, I see on Twitter and stuff a lot of Newcastle fans like twerking for him, but it's not <laughs> going to happen. He won't go back to a Mike Ashley owned 
side. So no, uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. Matuso, watch out, man. That's an interesting. <laughs> that's an interesting one. But yeah, Verona get the win um, over Napoli and um, across the rest of Serie A. Um, Rafa did manage Napoli. He like, did very briefly in uh, okay. Like, 2013 to 2015. That sounded familiar. Yeah. Because Pepe Reina went there and I think like they, I think they went as homies. Um, <laughs> yes. To Napoli. Yeah. That's what the contract said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Across the rest of the league, um, as far as results, Benevento and Torino played to a two, two draw and Torino just like, cannot get the the results that they need <laughs> to climb out of the bottom of the table. Um, yeah. they, yeah, they draw everybody. That's, that's the name of the game for Torino. Um, Roma four, three winners over Spezia, like crazy match that you would not have, you would not have banked on, on Spezia grabbing three goals. Um, but a 92nd minute winner from Lorenzo Pellegrini, pulled one out of the fire after it looked like Spezia had rescued a draw in the 90th minute. Uh, Daniela Verde <laughs> scored in the 90th minute and two minutes later, Pellegrini uh, finds the winner for Roma. Yeah. Roma living a bit dangerously lately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of teams uh, not getting results where they should, Udinese played Inter Milan to a nil nil draw and uh, that not great for Inter as they, had another week go by where they had an opportunity to gain ground on their crosstown rivals and pass it up for the most part. Yeah. After dominating Juventus in the Derby, like it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> I, I don't know what to think really of this iteration of Inter. They just, they're known for doing this where they make it hard on themselves after, you know, they, they have a statement victory and then they like capitulate. It, yeah. It's just, that's Inter. <laughs> Fiorentina uh, gets a win over Crotone 2-1. Um, Juve soft Bologna uh, 2-0. Notable here, Weston McKenney scores again for Juve. He's just fantastic. I, I see no reason why Juventus won't actually make that deal permanent. Um, uh, wow, just what a player. Yeah. I mean, it's just great to see him thriving in a top side. Um, and... Uh, and all the while, we also get to enjoy the fact that Juve is, you know, a distance off of the title. So we're, we're having right, like it all we're, right We're now. getting what we want out of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> we're having it all right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, Genoa gets a rare win um, over Cagliari 1-0 and a big result for them because they've been struggling uh, big time this season. Yeah. Yeah. Historic club. We'll see. They've been they've been struggling for. A little bit. So. Yeah. Um, Lazio gets a two-one win over Sassuolo, and that's a really a, another good result for Lazio. And they've they've been playing really well recently. Yeah, I mean, and that's how you do it, Inter. You build on a derby victory, <laughs> you keep going, <laughs> and that's what Lazio have done. And uh, and Sampdoria see off Parma two-nil. Um, so. Where that leaves us in the standings, um, Inter Milan, believe it or not, could have been level with AC Milan if they had won their game against Udinese. Um, but their two drop points leave them two points um, behind AC Milan at the top of the table. Roma 
a little bit of a distance behind and there is still that separation. Um, there are four points um, between Roma and Inter. Juve, a point behind Roma in fourth. Atalanta up to fifth um, with their victory. And Napoli down to sixth. Lazio level on points with them in seventh. And Hellas Verona up to eighth. Level on points with Sassuolo in ninth. Sampdoria down in tenth. Um, and uh, headed towards the bottom of the table. Um Udinese, Spezia, and Genoa all level on 18. Um, so Genoa actually climbs above Torino um, after a couple of a good, decent run of results here. Just one loss in their last five. Um, meanwhile, Cagliari have absolutely plummeted down the table five losses in a row and nice. are now level on points with Torino, but have a inferior goal difference. So they're down in 18th in the drop zone, Parma and Crotone. Um, the two teams at the bottom, but no, no one really out of it yet. Um, definitely not the stratification that we've seen in like the Bundesliga um, in terms of those teams at the bottom, Parma and Crotone, both, you know, within two points of, of safety actually at, at the moment. I'm not sure what's going on in Cagliari, but uh, seven straight defeats and they still extended Di Francesco's contract. So <laughs> they must believe in the guy. I don't know. <laughs> it is. It's really crazy. I think if you look through Cagliari's history or if you look through their, uh, their players, I guess, primarily, do you think Diego Godin's ever lost seven straight games before now? Like ever, right? I yeah. doubt it. Like that's <laughs> such a weird stat to associate him with. Yeah. Um, There's almost yeah, no way. I don't think so. I would actually be shocked. And I always, I always kind of look out for Cagliari because they're, if I'm not mistaken, the only team right now in Serie A from one of the islands and, mm-hmm. you know, myself supporting Palermo, like, need some island representation in the league. (laughs) I don't want them to go down, but uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's where we leave Europe. Um, Mika, what do you say? We take a quick break and then we'll come back, talk some Copa Suda Americana and then the January transfer window. Sounds perfect. Welcome back. Well, Mika, uh, a big matchup. We we obviously have the Copa Libertadores final next weekend, um, but this weekend we are treated to the Copa Suda Americana final, um, the Europa League of South America, um, essentially. <laughs> yeah. For lack of a better uh, comparison. Um, and the final played out, I mean, pretty dominant victory for uh defensa justicia uh the club of Hernan crespo um who manages his his club to their first continental success against lanus uh the a another um argentinian club um in 
pretty easy fashion. Like this is, they saw this out uh, without much trouble. It seems. Oh yeah. Defensa took Lanus apart. Um, I am not even going to front. I had not watched a minute of these two teams prior to this game, but this game was incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, and on Crespo, he really plays some nice football. And, and I, you know, I really want to impress upon the listeners what an achievement this is. Defensa Justicia have been a top flight side since 2014. Yeah. Um, they're a side made up of a lot of kids and um, stars or, or rejects from bigger clubs, to be fair. And uh, Hernan Crespo has got them playing some really nice stuff. And Lanús were the favorites, having won Copa Sudamericana before. Um, and, and I guess being a bigger club, if, if you can say that, um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> Defensa just dominated them from the jump. Lanus looked like they were not into it and, uh, never got into it ever really. Um, the match was played at 5 PM local time in Cordoba and it was extremely hot because it is <laughs> summer <laughs> in Argentina right now. So yeah. I really felt for the players in that regard, but I mean, Defensa, were able to to deal with it just fine. So um, apparently they played that game and they're going to be doing the same with Copa Libertadores where it's kind of at that that time so that it's at a, a reasonable time kickoff-wise for, for European audiences. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we can argue about that, I guess, in a whole <laughs> other pod. But uh, no, yeah, it was it was a great game. And, and shout out Anon Crespo. I mean, he's yeah. it looks like he's really building something here. I love like how intensely each of these goals was celebrated. Mm-hmm. Like defensa went absolutely crazy when they scored. <laughs> like you had, uh, you know, the, the first like players kiss, kissing the badge, the second shirt fully off with the like <laughs> Gloria Glory God. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, shirt underneath and Crespo getting absolutely mobbed every time. Like you can yeah. tell he absolutely is a hit with the players um, yeah. because the entire bench and the playing, the playing squad as well were mobbing him at every opportunity. And it was just like, you could tell one, it meant loads to the club um, to be at this level and, and to be competing on a continental level is just, you know, rarefied error for, for a club like defensa. And, and then to, you know, have this, kind of icon um managing yeah. them it's almost i mean it's kind of a uh, i don't know like to have lampard sacked and whatever crespo <laughs> winning trophies i don't know um there's a chelsea there's a chelsea joke in there somewhere because crespo <laughs> did play for chelsea um maybe chelsea bound now i don't know um the oh uh after this recent no <laughs> just <laughs> um so yeah the uh but yeah, it was just you could see like in the emotion that that all the players were playing with in the emotion that Crespo was showing as well. And credit to him. He braved all 90 minutes uh, in a full suit and tie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Lanus's manager looked much more comfortable, like, yeah. <laughs> more cash. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was 90, like three degrees or something at kickoff. F that. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that just should not but be. But it just happening. got me so hyped though for Copa Libertadores. Like I'm yeah. I'm fully on board with South American football madness. We got an Argent <laughs> an all Argentinian fi- final in the Sudamericana. We get a 
all Brazilian final in the Libertadores. Um, so perfectly balanced, uh, as all things should be. Um, (laughs) right. And yeah, hoping, hoping for the type of, of free flowing, uh, football that we got in this one at times from defensa, but hopefully it's a little bit more competitive in the sense that, you know, both teams maybe have a shot. Yeah. Yeah, Lanus was disgraceful. And to put, to put this into perspective, as far as defensa being promoted in 2014 and, then winning a continental final now would be like as if Bournemouth who Mm. were promoted in 2014 just won the Europa league, like that level of like that level of progression from a team to go from the second division to continental, a continental championship is wild. Right. Yeah. Congratulations to them, and I, and I yeah. love that a team that's so like attack minded is called Defensa. Just yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's it is great to see. Well, it's January, and we're getting towards we're getting towards the end of the month, and mm-hmm. transfer activity in January is often a little less than the summer. Obviously, with it being halfway through, the market's always a little weird. It's been made increasingly weird uh, by COVID and we're getting towards the end. We are starting to see some movement, though, um, in the transfer market, some really big potential moves. Um, But we had first a listener question about a potential transfer from his club. Jay Konecki uh, said, do you see any clubs trying to buy Basuma from Brighton? Um, Please say no. (laughs) (laughs) Eves Basuma uh, from Brighton. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I was, as I was telling Phil in the break, I have not seen this player a whole lot. I do know he's very talented. Um, And I think you have to be to play in Grant Potter's midfield to be fair. Do I see anyone buying him in January? No. So I hope I've obliged you enough there. Jake. (laughs) I think he's a player certainly for a summer move. Yeah. Um, especially, uh, you know, depending on what happens with Brighton season. Um, but I, I do, I have heard, I've heard Arsenal are interested in him, um, and, and a whole a host of other big clubs. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he's safe for now in January, yeah. at least I think he's, he's too big a player for, to, to, for Brighton to let go of, you know, they're still trying to, to stay up in the Premier League. Not that they're like a shambles or anything, but, uh, they'll need guys like him for the stretch. Yeah. In, uh, in December I tweeted Basuma is one of those players that will eventually move to PSG and everyone who only watches the big clubs will be completely caught out. Um, <laughs> okay. I do remember this <laughs> and I remember thinking like, right. Yeah. Like he's going to be the new, the new address gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, I, he's good. <laughs> right. Wait, what? Yeah. I, I think, uh, no, I think, I think he's really good. I think, um, I think he will eventually get a move. I think, as I as I said in our in our break to you, I think if Arsene Wenger was still Arsenal manager, then he'd already be there. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we are building a, a pretty significant African contingent. So yeah, Fra- uh, Francophone, Yang, Francophone Eleni, FC. Yeah, Partey, <laughs> so, I mean. By all means, come on over, Basua. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of moves to Arsenal, uh, this one is like 
this feels like the simulation has aligned for Mika Burrell specifically. <laughs> Martin Odegaard uh, headed to Arsenal on loan. Um, it feels like with Mesut Ozil uh, departing the club, it feels like a move that tries to fill that creative gap um, for, for Arsenal. What do you, what do you make of this move and, uh, and Arsenal, you called them lone FC lone FC, uh, (laughs) earlier in the show. So what, what do you make of this particular loan? Yeah, I, I think it's great. Um, obviously Odegaard is a very, uh, talented player, someone who really showed, I think a bigger stage, what he can do with his loan to real Sociedad last season that went very, very well indeed. Um, and yes, he does fill that kind of creative gap that Mezzarosa will be leaving behind. Um, I think no, even more than that, though, is that he's very much a modern midfielder and that I think he could actually play as, as an eight if he needed to, a little bit deeper. He's a very good dribbler, so I don't see any issues with him trying to carry the ball from deeper areas. Um, and, of course, the man's got a pass on him. I mean, some of the, the assists that he made for La Real's strikers last season were just sublime. Yeah. Um, and he's not really gotten a look in in, in Zidane's side because Kroos and, and Modric are still very much um, playing well and, and indispensable. And Casemiro is not really that same kind of player that you would switch in and out. So, yeah, I think it's a great move. It's pretty low risk for us. It's a loan to the end of the season. We'll pay, you know, like a two million pound loan fee. And then, of course, cover his wages, which aren't too crazy from what I understand. And then if if he likes it at Arsenal and if we like him, then we can discuss, you know, permanent signing. So, it's pretty uh, low risk, high reward potentially. Um, we did have a question from Luis Arsenal 14, of course, shout out Luis. Um, he said, as we were waiting for the announcement of Martin Odegaard, do you guys think this is a good thing for Smith Rowe, his backup, rest days, etc., or something for him to worry about? I actually think it's a great thing for Smith Rowe um, for a couple reasons. One, Smith Rowe is still a young kid. Um, I don't think he should be playing week in, week out. Um, not because he doesn't have the ability to. He's been very good since since kind of coming in after that horrendous spell we had. But uh, he's young and he's had some injuries in the past. So I think actually he and Martin Odegaard can share minutes. And I think actually they can even play together potentially as two eights or as one of them out wide. Smith Rowe has played out wide. Unai Emery actually... Uh, you know, introduced Smith Rowe into the team wide. He's played um, in that position at, at Huddersfield as well. So um, the two of them can play together too, if need be. So, and I, I don't think that Odegaard's going to like start right away. He's not had a lot of time on the pitch this season. So I'd be very surprised if he's fit enough to, to displace anyone immediately. So, yeah, I think it, it's a good thing. I don't think Smith Rowe should, should be worried at all, but um I think he is absolutely the future of, of Arsenal and Odegaard would have to prove that he's much, much better if he were going to displace him permanently. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's good for Smith Rowe in the same way that you, that we discussed like take Liverpool needing to take the pressure off of Reese Williams at center back. It's like, it's yeah. one thing to give a young player starting minutes, you know, in meaningful games, because I think that's important for people's development. Um, it's completely another thing to rely on them every single game. Um, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Two very different asks. Um, and I think while Smith Rowe has obviously shown loads of promise and there's been this whole development at Arsenal of 
whatever, like hail and FC and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> I think they need cover for those, mm-hmm. uh, for those guys. One, because you can't really legislate for injuries and, and, and all that. Um, but also because they need some, you know, some senior player. And it's crazy to refer to Martin Odegaard as like a veteran, um, given the fact that he's like <laughs> 21. Um, yeah. He's just been famous for six years um, because he, he was like a literal child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think I think, like you said, it's it's a pretty low risk move for Arsenal overall. And I think it just improves their quality in that in that attacking like uh attacking midfield spot and gives Arteta some flexibility in in the way that he can line up so um sure. yeah I think definitely makes sense and given his status is pretty much a no-brainer for player and club I think for Odegaard to get a, a real shot um at playing elsewhere his ability to is obviously as we said kind of made possible by the move of uh, Mesut Özil to Fenerbahce in Istanbul. Um, so uh, off to Turkey for Mesut. Um, irreconcilable differences, I guess, is is what it seems to have <laughs> what it seems to have come down to in this divorce um, between player and club. I mean, with him moving on now and this saga kind of finally coming to an end, how do you, as an Arsenal fan, like look back on? Ozil's time at the club. It's it's such a shame to see how it's ended. And in fact, I think I think I thought that the uh ending of this saga would be a lot grander than it actually is. It's actually very uh I, I don't even know what the word for it is. Not boring, <laughs> but like just very underwhelming. I mean yeah. I thought it would be a whole thing and now it's just kinda like Oh, okay, cool. Finally, bye. Urzil's, Urzil's um, uh, tenure ends not with a bang, but a whimper. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, look, he at one point was the best attacking midfielder in the world. And I am very confident of saying that. I remember when we signed him. I remember the day we signed him. I remember where I was. I was in my crappy college apartment in New York, <laughs> like freaking <laughs> out, dancing around my MacBook, like seeing that we had signed him on deadline day and just, you know, Mesut Ozil from Real Madrid, the World Cup winners coming to the Arsenal. It was just an incredible coup for us. And and he was very, very good. Um, I think, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. We probably should have gotten some kind of money for him instead of signing him to that giant deal. But I think the club was feeling the pressure of Alexis Sanchez leaving and couldn't be seen to let both stars leave at the same time. Um, but I mean, looking back, obviously that's a, been a disaster. <laughs> we probably should have sold uh, and kind of called his bluff. So, you know, best of luck to him in Fenerbahce. I see Fenner like asking fans to tweet at this one number so they can raise money to pay his wages. I think that's insane, (laughs) 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 but uh, just, just Turkey things, I guess. I don't know. Um, crowdfunding. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be, uh, he'll be beloved there. Um, and, uh, I have, uh, what is it called? I have an app fanaties that I used to watch La Liga and I think Turkish football is on there. So I may like catch a game just to see, yeah, it's always I mean it's always interesting to see too when when players make those moves to, you know, leagues that are maybe like a step down or or you know just in general quality like not at the same 
level or definitely intensity that uh, that the Premier League has in terms of the physicality. Um, yeah. I think I think Urzel is going to be unbelievable um, in Turkey for uh, you know years to come because I think he'll have the space to be able to just spray the ball around and pick pick defenses apart. Um, yeah. He'll be able to kind of slow slow his game down a little bit, which has always been his style. He's always had that more kind of like skillful, languid, like in between the lines type of play. He's never been the, a pace merchant or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And and I'm glad, like for his sake as a player, I'm glad he's you know moving to a situation where he's going to be able to play. Because um, yeah. I think just anytime you see these sorts of situations where players are kind of frozen out, it's, it's frustrating, not just for the player and, and for the club that something can't work out, but it's also just crazy when a player misses out on like six months that they could have been playing, um, or however long he's, I I mean, it feels like a lot longer. I don't know how long he's actually been, been sidelined. Um, but yeah, so it'll be, you know, for his sake, I'm glad he can, can get back to playing. Yeah, for sure. And, and fair play to him because I, I, and many other Arsenal fans, I think believe that he would just sit there and collect his wage until the end of the contract, but he's decided to move early and it shows me that he's still very much wants to play football. So good on him. Hope he does well in Fenerbahce. One of the moves that we mentioned already, just due to his prolific return, uh, Luki Jovic broke the bondage of, of his time at Real Madrid and, uh, (laughs) and returned, returned to his home, um, at Eintracht. And I mean, it's just, he's fit right back into that side. There's really no two ways about it. Yeah. When, you know, home is where the heart is. I mean, he had (laughs) a pretty tough time at Real Madrid, not really getting, um, into Zidane's plans. And he comes back to Eintracht and scores, He's already has like three goals or something. Yeah. Um, And he's he's creating a formidable partnership with the very informed Andre Silva. So, um, yeah, uh, fair play to him. I I think it's great. I think it's great that a talent like him is is doing well. And let's see if do you think this this changes any minds in Madrid or is just kind of like, oh, well. We'll see what happens at the end of the loan. Maybe we'll let you stay there. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think for Jovic, he's got to feel like this is a better situation. Like he's got to feel if if he's back and performing at that level, you know, already. I don't know why you would stick it out and try to like swim upstream in Madrid, um, especially if. Mm. You know, if if what's been said uh, uh, about him and Z- Zidane is like true in terms of the, you know, I think Zidane was pretty critical of him early on in his return. Because um, if I'm remembering the timeline right, Jovic was bought in the awkward in between, right? Like, like when after Zidane left, but before he came back. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know that. Z- <sighs> Cause he came back like, and then so, talked about like, say, like the Dan never wanted him. And then there's people who are like, no, Zidane approved it like specifically. Oh yeah. So it's just, 
either way, I think it's a, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a good situation for him. And uh, while Madrid lean on Kareem Benzema as a crutch, like as long as that continues, then I would stay the hell away if I were any sort of number nine. Um, Fair. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my, that's my thoughts. Um, couple other attackers uh, moving and we hinted at it earlier um, when we spoke about Sevilla and, and, and Nasiri, but, uh, but Papu Gomez uh, formerly of Atalanta, him and Gasparini have a falling out. And now Monchi is uh, the one who looks set to, to profit from that as <laughs> Gomez has uh, reportedly inked a deal uh, to move to Sevilla. Yeah. And I'm hearing the fee is like 6 million euros, which is a st- deal like yeah. i know papu's in his 30s but good god that he he is a i love this player i mean um i think he's gonna be incredible for sevilla uh we've spoken on this pod numerous times about how sevilla just need a you know a little bit more uh cutting edge i guess you could say in the attack and and um papu will certainly bring that he's not you know prime papu but he's still a very good player and um he can score goals. He can certainly assist them. He loves to press. Uh, he's hard nosed, you know, Argentine. And so, yeah, I think it'll be a great, a great fit for Julian Lopetegui's side. Only thing I'm curious about is formation wise, where he's going to fit in. I don't see Julian Lopetegui necessarily playing like straight up 10 um, or right. playing him as a second striker. I think probably he will maybe start on the left and, and have a compost move over and, and Suso drop out, drop out of the side. Um, or just rotate with those two. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see him in the red and white of Sevilla. Yeah. It's a, that's a interesting move. And one that a few months ago seemed like impossible for Papu Gomez to, to be anywhere, but Atalanta and, and now, uh, now he's moved on, um, a shrewd move, I think from, from Monchi as, uh, as Sevilla looked to stay in those champions league places. Um, going forward um a move another la liga related move um but this time wolves the the beneficiaries william jose um moves to wolves um and uh interesting interesting signing for uh the portuguese national team um (laughs) but they uh they add a, a striking option where they've looked a little threadbare. Um, Fabio Silva has been okay uh, and obviously scored recently, but um, ever since Raul Jimenez uh, suffered that head injury, um, it's just uh, it's it, the goals have not been forthcoming for Wolves quite at the rate that they were. So William Jose brought in and uh, a lot of the goal scoring burden is going to fall to him pretty immediately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like we kind of joked about a little bit earlier in the show, Wolves barely beat Chorley in the FA Cup uh, 1-0. So, I mean, I think that tells you everything. Um, Maybe not everything, but, you know, just they're they're struggling right now to score. And um, their system is very much oriented around a big target man like this. So this move, to me, makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, he's not just a lump. I mean, he's a good player. He's, you know, Brazilian, of course they have, you know, that flair at times uh, and he's scored double digit goals in at least four La Liga seasons. So um, 
proven track record at the you know in a top flight unlike um the young fabio silva not to not to attack the kid or anything but i think this is a really shrewd move for wolves and um hopefully it's you know hopefully he settles quickly i think that's really the big the big uh question is you just never know how players are gonna adapt to the premier league um i think physicality wise and, and all that he'll be fine but yeah um he'll just have to click with his uh teammates pretty immediately but i mean the the locker room language is portuguese so he'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he won't have an issue communicating with his teammates certainly um and uh in another attack i mean we i think we hinted uh, or we spoke earlier about in being a target of West Ham's um, doesn't look like they'll pull that one off as they've had a couple of bids rejected. Um, I think yeah. predictably by Sevilla, but they are now chasing another player that we've spoken about on the pod uh, quite frequently. Bull idea um, Reams top scorer and uh, second uh, leading scorer in uh, Liga Un behind Killian Mbappe. Um, and they lodged a initial bid of a little less than 10 million pounds um, for a player with 12 goals <laughs> in 18 mm. appearances, which seems a little light, um, if I'm being <laughs> honest, um, and probably not enough. I think that was rejected, um, but they were said to have an update on the Bull Idea uh, transfer soon so we may hear more um from the west ham camp about what's actually going on but uh another french striker potentially inbound uh at the the london stadium um and hopefully to better effect than sebastian allaire um who Mm, obviously fell quite flat um, and has since departed for Ajax, uh, where he's already making a pretty sizable impact, actually three assists and a goal in three appearances for the Dutch champions. Uh, so yeah, he's gone off already. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Yeah. I mean, Belidea, it's obviously he's having a fantastic season. Um, I just worry about this because he's 24 years old and mm-hmm. he's more or less come out of nowhere with these numbers. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, 24 years old is not even your, your peak, but I mean, I think it is somewhat older to be all of a sudden exploding. And then there have been, um, you know, late bloomers, but uh, for a team like West Ham that really need to get a striker signing, right. <laughs> since Arnautovic, I, I just worry that this one may, backfire um but i mean if he came over and he did really well then that's great um and yeah. it, it can only be a good thing for for senegal who i think he i think he was born in france but i think he yeah. may have declared for senegal so yeah he's um, been capped uh three times for senegal there you go yeah, yeah. so obviously though that would be a huge loss for him so <laughs> um we'll see i think 10 million i think you i think they're gonna have to up that to at least you know 15 maybe even yeah. 20 to to take away one of the leading scorers in the league um, mid season yeah. in a pandemic. <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> he scored a lot of penalties too. It's worth mentioning. Um, so mm. it's, that's an interesting one as well. It's inflated his numbers slightly, um, but yeah. he uh, obviously, you know, a, a, a good attacker, but as you said, a little bit older and he's only been playing professionally 
um, in the last three seasons, he was playing in the Championnat National Two or Deux or whatever, uh, which is the fourth division um, in yeah. 2017. So, like, he's only been at the top in at Ream for three seasons, um, and which he, Championnat National Two is the fourth tier. Yeah, just to be clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, he's he was at the fourth tier. He scored like. 15 goals in 21 ga- or no 21 goals in 15 games or something like that. So he was bought by Re- or, you know, signed by Reem uh, shortly thereafter, but he was older, like breaking into pr- the professional ranks. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, small sample size and his last two season at seasons at Reem, he hasn't scored double digit goals. Um, so, this is his first season breaking double digits and obviously he's scoring at a really good rate. Um, but yeah, the sustainability of that for West Ham is just like questionable. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they actually come up with. They need a striker. So it's, it's just a question of whether (laughs) David Moyes, uh, desperation will outweigh his, his, uh, like worry, worry about the, sustainability of of Diaz scoring yeah yeah that'll be an interesting one for sure I I guarantee you no one listening to this has maybe heard a blue idea but uh we'll see the um the last question you had on here Liverpool center back um I've I've voiced who I think who I would want um Sven Boatman from Lille would be the choice uh yeah I don't think we can afford him I don't think we could get him right now. Um, the way that the way that Lille is, is going. Um, so yeah, they're fighting I, for the title. Yeah. The dog. I don't know. The last, uh, emergency center back that Jurgen Klopp brought in was Steven Cocker. Um, and, uh, that was in 15, 16 in his first season. And he played him at striker more frequently. Like he, he would bring, <laughs> he would bring him on as an, like that emergency, like we need a goal, just throw him up front, like big guy. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. We haven't seen a lot of like luck with emergency center back signings. So I don't know what, uh, what Klopp's got up his sleeve, if anything, um, because there's really not that much chatter um, around any potential center back signings. Uh, A lot of Liverpool media are voicing their displeasure that Klopp apparently tried to sign a center back in the summer and was actually like not allowed to the extra funds um, to go get one. Um, So, they've put some pressure on the club in that, in that way. But, um, but other than that, they, they haven't, um, actually pulled the trigger on anything. You know, I did read that, uh, Liverpool were interested or well, they, Liverpool were offered Socrates before he signed <laughs> with Olympiacos. And yeah, I mean, for, I mean, I don't know. I feel like he gets a lot of stick, but I thought he was decent for us. I mean, he's not a ball player by any means, but I mean, right. he needs someone to, to fill a spot. Like he wouldn't have been the worst no. choice in the world. Uh, and, and people say he's slow, which he's not that slow, I but think, uh, he's off to Olympiacos. So yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Apparently they made contact, but couldn't, 
couldn't hash out terms or, or maybe, mm. maybe, maybe Socrates was like intent on returning to Greece. Um, which like yeah. I wouldn't, you know, hold it, hold it against him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting problem and one that I'm not sure. I don't know. Like Liverpool have basically six days to figure it out. Um, and if they don't, then it's going to be a long like rest of the season. Um, just trying to fill gaps back there. And, and every day that Fabinho is played out of position at center back, I'm, you know, and it's not a criticism of him certainly at all. Um, Cause I thought he's been good as a center back. I just think we miss him in midfield. Like I think we For miss sure. his, his impact in midfield um, and having to deploy Tiago as a six is also unfortunate. Um, Cause I think he has to graft a lot more than, than what he would if, if he had someone next to him who is doing the grafting uh, like a Fabinho. Yeah, for sure. Like, like I said, at the top of the show, I think Liverpool should just, you know, put a hold on their principles for now. And I think you could be forgiven for panic buying in, in this situation. Well, uh, before we get on to our sounds of the season playlist, we had one last question from at couch sports, Adam, um, who will win the premier league? Simple question, Mika. <laughs> I think I said, uh, in the podcast earlier in the season that it would be Manchester city. And I still stand by that. I think especially now more than ever, it's city's title to win. Yeah. Uh, if they can just keep their shit together more than everyone else, essentially, and yeah. maybe get a striker. Um, I think that's their big, uh, big thing right now is, is Gabriel Jesus. Not, I don't know that he's really the long-term, uh, heir to Sergio Aguero. Um, yeah. And uh, Sergio Aguero continues to struggle with injury. So I, it's still Manchester City for me. Yeah, I uh, I think early in the season, I'd, I would have banked on Liverpool retaining the title given the the lack of movement at other teams. Obviously, the mm. Virgil van Dijk injury has changed the, the math on that pretty significantly. Um, and I want to go on record and apologize to Ruben Diaz because I was like, I rated that as like a pretty poor transfer and it's completely transformed city's <laughs> defense. Um, it's turned John stones useful. It's benched. <laughs> I'm Eric Laporte. It's like been unbelievable. So I think, I, I don't think anyone wrong. thought though. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be this good. No, like I didn't. I certainly didn't. I thought it would be fine, but yeah. Yeah, they've been unreal. Um, Crazy. Like, he's been transformative for them. Um, So, yeah, I agree that it's cities to lose. I think, um, I think the, obviously, like, the the Van Dyke injury, I think, is equally transformative to Liverpool. Um, So, yeah, in a a negative way. So, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's certainly cities to lose at this point. Um, But it'll be there'll be plenty of twi- twists and turns. And obviously, I mean, right now, like Lester are hanging out in the conversation. Um, not that that will necessarily be the case at the end of the season. Cause we know Brendan Rogers, but, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, I do want to say though, that it is very impressive that Lester have managed to continue getting results when Jamie Vardy's not necessarily like at his very best. So true. that's, that's good. True. But yeah, uh, loads of twists and turns, but I think I think the 
smart money's on city um at this point because they have the least amount of question marks um of mm. every club has loads of question marks around them um but city just has the least i think so <laughs> fair um all right, Mika, well, now on to our Sounds of the Season playlist. Uh, each week we add a couple of songs, some some different uh, all cu- types of rock, hard rock, heavy metal, metalcore, hardcore, punk, whatever. Um, it's the namesake of the podcast, and we, and we now uh, we add two songs apiece each week and uh, try to make them correlate to... Uh, to what's going on. So Mika, what, what do you have for the playlist uh, this week? All right. So my first one is a song called, were you nervous by speech patterns? <laughs> and uh, I, I just feel like that's, that's how it must feel when, uh, when you get that call from the board oh. uh, <laughs> that you need to have a meeting. Uh, so I'm just wondering if that's how Frank Lampard felt when, uh, <laughs> when he saw on his docket that there'd be a meeting with uh, Frank and, and Marina or not Frank uh, Roman and Marina. Yeah. <laughs> so Ugh. that's my on the nose one. Um, and it's just a good song. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the other one I picked is uh, vicious love by newfound glory, the version with Haley Williams. And this is like kind of multi-layered because I feel like our teams, us, especially Liverpool and Arsenal are really like just, pulling us in all different directions lately (laughs) in terms of how to feel. And it very much is it supporting your club is a vicious love. And, uh, um, people who maybe listen to this genre of music know that Haley Williams was at one point married to Chad Gilbert of newfound glory and they are divorced now. So, um, just a self-fulfilling prophecy, I suppose with this song. (laughs) Uh, so I thought I'd just slap it on there, give a little bit of pop punk to the playlist. Yeah. What do you got this week, Phil? I've got, uh, mine are two very, uh, like heavy offerings, I will say. Um, so, but I went, I tried to stay on theme with some of the, uh, with some of the, uh, titles and stuff. So, um, (laughs) the first is a song. Well, it's technically two songs, but it's, I mean, it's one thing, like one's the intro to the other. Um, but it's by a band called reflections and it's lost and found. Um, and so with all of these like lone moves and all this stuff and all these players who have been like frozen out at one club and found a, you know, and found a home elsewhere. Um, <laughs> that's what I feel like, you know, like Luka Jovic was lost at real Madrid. He's been found at back at, back at, uh, Eintracht. And so, yeah, the, uh, the lost and found, I, nice. I felt, I felt that. Um, and then, uh, the second, oh, and the big thing about, uh, and found, which is the second part of this, of this two part thing. Um, the end of, of that has a, uh, like a call, like a breakdown call out or whatever, where the guy, the guy, uh, says is reality really realistic. Um, and (laughs) that, feels so on brand for 2020 slash 21 and all of these crazy results that happen each week and just like total chaos in football. Um, like <laughs> the simulation is breaking down. Like is reality really realistic? I don't know. Um, 
I and, love that. Yeah. And so then uh, the other song I have is a, by a band called We Rise the Tides. Um, and it's called Five Months. And uh, that's in honor of the five months that Frank Lampard lasted this season. Um, as Damn. Chelsea boss. <laughs> <laughs> I like Those to think that. Fully tuned out by now. I, uh, I, yeah, I like to think, um, that this song is actually from the perspective of Frank Lampard, um, to Roman Abramovich because, uh, it starts out the first line of it is all it took was five months for your feelings to change. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah. So anyways, Oh my God. Yeah. That's my, um, that's my Frank Lampard uh, related burn in the sounds of the season playlist. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I'll, and with that, because we were roasting the man. Yeah. Where do you think he goes next? It's an interesting question. It's like, I honestly, I think I saw something that linked him with Celtic. I saw that too. And yeah, it was, I guffawed. (laughs) (laughs) I think, well, one, it would be so bizarre for a Liverpudlian like Steven Gerrard to be at Rangers and a Tory like Frank Lampard to be at, at Celtic, which is like completely the opposite of what it would be normally. Like if, you know, if you're looking at the club's like political leanings, but I do love the idea of the two players that were like, why can't they play together in England's midfield being direct rivals in Scotland? (laughs) That would be just like poetic. Yeah. That would be so fire. And you can't do worse than Neil Lennon. So, (laughs) but that's the thing is I don't know that like Celtic is a big enough job for me to not, I don't know. Like it's, it's weird because should should managers be failing into the Celtic job? Like, yeah, that's the only thing. Yeah. Cause Brendan, I mean, Rod- that's the Brendan biggest Rogers job in Scotland. Brendan Rogers did it, I guess successfully. So he might be the, <laughs> he might be the model that, that Lampard looks at and be like, well, he went to Scotland and then he came back and now he's like, you know, doing well at another club. So Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Now I need that to happen. For reasons. <laughs> See, I need it to happen because I need Stevie to repeat as league league champions at the expense of Frank Lampard Celtic. <laughs> oh my God. Make himself hated up and down the British Isles. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, that it's an interesting it's an interesting one because there aren't a whole lot of places you know it's it's tough for english managers to go abroad i think um they don't really do it that often um so because you know i think the thought would be hey like kind of go home you know whatever um but in his case he is already home he's at the most home he can get um and he just lost that job so um I think it's either, you know, he goes back to the championship or he goes to Scotland. I think those are pretty much his two his two options, but it'll be interesting to see if Celtic take a take a punt on him because yeah, Neil Lennon's not not done great, but um but will oh they God. be more ambitious in their next appointment or would they or would they go for someone like Lampard who's kind of a 
it's almost like a publicity stunt hiring him at this point. <laughs> yeah, but oh man, Stevie G versus Frankie, that would be yeah, lit. Yeah, that would be. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm here for it. That's a mess that I need. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Awesome. We would just become like an old firm podcast at that point. We would just like only talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Well, I think that about wraps us up uh, for this episode. Like I said, at the top of the episode, um, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Play or Google Podcasts, whichever it's called now. Um, and yeah, hopefully you enjoy, you can subscribe, rate, review, whatever, whatever the platform allows. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoy do that. And so you get notifications of when, uh, we put out new episodes and, uh, yeah, other than that, we've got another big weekend of more football to watch this week, this weekend. So hopefully you tune in and, uh, and then tune in next week when we, uh, wrap it all up for you. So Yeah. Until then, uh, hope everyone is doing well, stays safe, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Peace.